Welcome. Great to see all of you here on our campus. Let me welcome everybody joining us online. If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, my name is Adam. I serve as a senior pastor, and I'm glad you're here. And you might be wondering, why are we talking about Easter? It's March, y'all. It is March. I don't know if you know that. And this year, Easter is actually in March, okay? It moves around every year, okay? A little Easter trivia. Do you know how we choose the Sunday for Easter? I'm very disappointed. Actually, we don't make the choice. I'm not sure who made this decision, but it's the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the spring solstice. There you go. And this year, that happens to be Sunday, March 31st, all right? That's four weeks from today. And so what I wanted to do is go ahead and let you know today what our Easter service times are going to be this year. And we're doing it a little different. We're gonna offer four services over two days. So uh, three people are excited. That's awesome. So uh, a little better, a little better. A little better, all right, so they start on Thursday nights, one on Thursday at 7 p.m., three on Sunday at eight, 10, and noon. So let's talk about this for a second, okay? I know anytime there's change, everybody's like, what? Okay, everybody take a deep breath, it's gonna be all right, okay, we're doing four, and they're all the same. So you don't have to be at all four. You choose the one that works for you. And the reason why we're doing one on Thursday this year um, is, is because it's, again, a little earlier, which means a lot of our school systems, not all of them, but a lot of them are starting spring break either on Good Friday and into the following week or just the following week, which means a lot of people are going to be out of town on Easter weekend. So we wanted to give those of you who call New Hope Home the opportunity to come to an Easter service, if those are your plans, before you get out of town. Even more so, we wanted to give you the opportunity to invite people who you know will be going out of town that weekend or the following week as well. And then we're gonna do three on that Sunday because we just need more room on Sunday. And we're doing eight, 10, and noon. And I can go ahead and tell you that 10 o'clock is gonna be a zoo. It's literally just gonna be people hanging from the balcony, okay? So that's probably not the best service time to choose if you call New Hope Home. In fact, that would be really helpful if you came to one of the other three times. Since we're doing a Thursday night service, we're not gonna do a Good Friday service this year. That doesn't mean we've made that decision until Jesus returns. That means we're doing it that way this year, okay? Next year, Easter is way late in April, so we'll kind of make this decision every single year. So offering four services gives us a shot at actually being able to do this where the parking lot can turn over and we can have enough space in here and all the things. We'll offer kids ministry at all four services. And so that's gonna really help us this Easter. But it's also going to help us with something else, all right? So we have two services right now, nine and 11, and they're completely full. So y'all aren't nearly as godly as the people who come at nine, okay? They get up earlier than you on Sundays much holier service, if I can just be honest with y'all, okay? Just kidding, you bunch of pagans. I'm just kidding, all right? So, just having fun, just having fun, loosen up. All right, now, why was I even bringing that up? Oh, we do two services on Sundays, and we need more, all right? We don't have any room. So we know at some point, we're gonna have to add a third service, possibly a fourth service. We don't know when we're going to add those services, and we don't know what those service times will be so you could help us this Easter. For example, if five of y'all show up on Thursday at seven, we'll know that's probably not the best time to offer a future service. Same thing, if only like 30 people are here at noon, we're like, that's not the best 
time. So it's a little bit of us, instead of sending out a survey, uh, we're kind of doing a survey, and you'll let us know by the service that you attend. So that's gonna be helpful for us as well. Now, on your way out today, you're gonna get an Easter invite. I would encourage you to use that this week, and you can get more if you want. We will have these available every single Sunday during the month of March leading up to Easter. So you can use these to invite your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, family members. We will have yard signs available uh, next week, so you can use those as well. And so begin to pray now um, for Easter. I think it's going to be an incredible weekend. Before today, we are wrapping up our On the Edge teaching series. And if you're just jumping in today, we've been talking about this idea of how God can actually use pain in our life to bring about Purpose, And if you've missed any of those messages, they're all posted on our YouTube channel. And where I want to wrap up this service today is finding purpose and the pain of failure. And all of us have experienced failure at some point in our life. Maybe you're walking through a failure right now. We're gonna take a look at a guy in the Bible who had an epic failure. And before we do, I wanna just kind of right-size failure. I wanna make sure we're all on the same page when it comes to failure. So if you like to take notes, let me give you just kind of three quick things about failure. First of all, failure is something that everyone experiences. The most successful person you know has experienced failure. Like you already know what I'm about to tell you, but I think it's worth repeating. Every time I hear this, it just makes me feel good. Okay, not for him, but it makes me feel better about myself. Michael Jordan was cut from his freshman team in basketball, all right? Michael Jordan was cut, all right? That helps me feel better, okay? Raise your hand if you ever got cut from a team, okay? I'm with you, I feel your pain. Not fun, right? Not fun. Did they hang the sheet on somebody's classroom at your school like they did mine so everyone knew you'd been cut? That was awesome, okay? So like failure. It's like I wanted to be on this team, I didn't make it. I wanted this business venture to work and it didn't. The most successful person you know at work, in this church, in your neighborhood, if you could ever take them to lunch and ask them to share with you their worst failure, that would be helpful. I'm gonna encourage you. Say, wait a second. Failure is something everyone experiences from time to time. Second thing, we just need to make sure we're on the same page about failure. Failure is not who you are, okay? Failure is an event. It's something that happened at a point in time. Could be in the past, could be right now. But see, you are still you. And you can walk through a failure and not tie your identity to the failure. But what happens so many times, because failure is so painful, is we start to see ourselves as failures. Let me encourage you not to do that. Failure is not who you are. And then the third thing about failure, and I think this is the most helpful, failure can serve you well. This really separates incredibly successful people from people who just kind of get stuck. Everybody goes through failure. Some people pull the lessons from the failure. Some people get better from the failure. I've heard coaches say this before after games. Sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. So when you lose, if you learn, you actually got something from the loss. It made you better. You actually learn more when you fail if you recognize the lessons in the failure. And so now that we're all on the same page and if you feel like you're a failure, you recognize it's not who I am, there can actually be some encouragement that comes from failure. We're gonna talk about a guy who had an epic failure. His name's Peter. Now, if you're new to the Bible, Peter's kind of a big deal. He's one of the 12 disciples. He walks around with Jesus for three years. 
He's actually the guy who preaches to launch the church. It's called the Day of Pentecost. It's it's found in Acts chapter two. He preaches empowered by the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people respond. The church is launched. Peter writes a couple of letters that we now have in our New Testament as first and second Peter. Peter was bold. Peter was brash. Peter was courageous. Jesus was walking on water one day, and Peter hopped out of the boat and started walking with him. This was Peter, okay? And yet, despite all of these amazing qualities and strengths and boldness, Peter had an epic failure, and it happened during what we now call the Passion Week. We just mentioned Easter. The events leading up to Easter, the first Resurrection Sunday, was actually the circumstances of Peter's epic failure. Jesus gathered his disciples on the Thursday evening before he was arrested to have the Last Supper with them. We call it the Last Supper now. We sometimes call it communion. But it's at that meal that we meet this bold Peter who's making this big declaration. John chapter 13, verses 37 and 38. In typical Peter form, here's how it goes. Peter asks, Lord, Why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So Jesus gives us a little foreshadowing here of what's about to happen. The sequence of events after that dinner lead to Jesus being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. So from the time Peter makes this declaration till the time he actually denies Jesus, This happens where Jesus is arrested, and there's a little detail in that account tied to Peter that sometimes we just kind of skip past because it's a lot of things happening. I mean, Jesus is moving towards the crucifixion, but I always think that we should stop and just talk about this for a second, okay? So so when Jesus is arrested by the Roman soldiers, this apparently gets Peter very upset, and he's ready to fight. And so Peter pulls out his sword. This is in the gospel accounts, and he cuts off a Roman soldier's ear, He cuts off his ear. Did you hear that? His ear. Have you ever seen someone even try to cut off somebody's ear? If you have, please tell me the story after this service, all right? I wanna know. Dude's name's Malchus. He's a Roman soldier. And honestly, we just haven't talked enough about this. So we're gonna do that. I'm the only one with a microphone right now. So we're gonna talk about this. Because I've given this a lot of thought. See, to cut somebody's ear off, that can only go down one of two ways. First of all, it would be with a horizontal swipe, which is what I think Peter was trying to do. I think he was trying to decapitate Malchus. And Malchus was a quick cat. So what Malchus did was he kind of lowered his head and Peter just got his ear. Ear spun right off, landed on the ground. All right, that's what happened, all right? Now, the other option is Peter took a vertical blow, and this is where he just kind of came straight down, which honestly would be miraculous because he somehow managed to slice the ear and not the shoulder too. So I don't know how that happened, okay? Either way, it's a remarkable account. This is what preachers do all week, y'all. This is what we do, okay? You sit around, pray, and think about these things. Now, what happens next is even crazier. It's like in the middle of the account, like Jesus is being arrested, and I, they didn't have handcuffs back then, so I mean, I don't think he fought him off, but like in the middle of being arrested, like Peter you know, cuts off dude's ear, and Jesus is like, man, y'all hold up for a second. And Jesus walks over, and he picks up the dude's ear and puts it back on. <laughs> it's amazing. Now, you would think that the Roman soldiers would be, hold up, we're not arresting this guy. He just put on his ear. Like, did you see that? Unbelievable, okay? 
And then they go back to arresting Jesus and we move forward with the events of the Passion Week. Anyway, I just think this is remarkable, okay? So after cutting dude's ear off, Peter makes his way over to a campfire and he's sitting there and the conversation starts and it comes up three separate times where someone asks Peter, hey, don't you know Jesus? And he denies him three times. In fact, the third time he's so emphatic, he's, he's denying Jesus to the equivalent of like a teenage girl. I mean, he's, he, he's become such a coward that he can't even admit to a teenage girl that he knows Jesus. He curses even in his response. And scripture says that upon doing that, he literally saw Jesus see him. He hears this rooster cry and he realizes his failure. And from this point forward, some significant things then happen. Jesus is faithful then to go to the cross, he pays for the sins of the world. Jesus defeats death on that first resurrection Sunday, then walks out of the tomb. Peter's one of the first people to see the empty tomb. Over the next 40 days, Jesus appears to the disciples. There's also a lot of other people that see Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that over 500 people saw Jesus during these 40 days. It's a unique time in Jesus's life. A lot of times when we're looking at scripture about Jesus, we're in the three years of his public ministry before he went to the cross. This is now after the resurrection. For 40 days, Jesus is making these appearances. And Jesus comes to his disciples one day in the midst of these appearances in John chapter 20 and does something incredibly significant. And Peter is a part of this. So let's see what it says. John 20 Verses 21 through 23. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is Jesus commissioning the disciples. He's prepared them for this moment for three years. He told them at the Last Supper that he was going to leave and he was going to send a helper, it didn't make a lot of sense that day, but now Jesus is giving them the helper and they're gonna need the helper. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that these disciples can do what Jesus has tasked them with and this is their defining moment. This is the time they're now supposed to go out and begin to do what Jesus has called them to do. So if you're tracking with this sequence of events, here's how it's looked in Peter's life. He makes a bold declaration, he gets it wrong, he denies Jesus, but he then sees an empty tomb. Jesus is with him frequently for the next 40 days. Jesus breathes upon him and the other disciples, the Holy Spirit, tells them what to do. Here's the next thing that should happen in Peter's life, the day of Pentecost. That's how the story should read. The next thing that we should find Peter doing is preaching this great message, which I've already told you happened, and 3,000 people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, but that's not the next event that happens. In John chapter 21, what we see is Peter kind of continue to not exactly follow the steps that it seems like the Lord is laying out for him. So, so let me tell you what Peter does after Jesus gives them the Holy Spirit and commissions them to go do what he's called them to do. John 21, starting in verse three, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got in the boat, and that night they caught Nothing, Peter went fishing. You say, what's the problem with that? I like to fish, I love to fish as well. The challenge with that is Peter wasn't going fishing for relaxation, but for occupation. See, Peter had been a fisherman before Jesus found him. That's all he'd ever known. And then for these three years, he had been a follower of Jesus. 
And even after receiving the Holy Spirit, even after being commissioned by Jesus very clearly to go do what Jesus had told him to do, Peter goes back to fishing. Now, from Peter's actions, here's what we can see. In his own mind, he felt like his days in ministry were over. He felt like he had actually done something that was disqualifying him. Maybe the rest of the guys can receive the Holy Spirit and go do what Jesus has called them to do, but not for Peter. You say, well, why is that? It's kind of a big idea for us today. You see, Peter, his identity and his behavior were actually still being driven by his failure. Don't miss this. Peter still saw himself as a failure. You ever had failure take root in your heart? It doesn't matter what anybody else says. You can even agree with them. But when you're trying to fall asleep at night, you still feel like that failure. This is where Peter's at. And some of you know what that feels like. You see, the challenge with that is that when failure, when failure sets in that much, it drives our behavior. It's driving your behavior. If you don't think failure drives behavior, may I suggest taking a look at Peter who could look into an empty tomb and still do the exact opposite of what Jesus told him to do. Why? Because he felt like a failure. Now here's what's remarkable about John chapter 21. It's what Jesus then does. Peter is a leader. When he says, I'm gonna go fishing, the rest of the guys go with him. And what we see in John chapter 21 is how Jesus handles this situation. And what's incredibly encouraging for us is that when we walk through failure, when we feel like a failure, when failure is driving our actions, the way that Jesus responded to Peter is the same way Jesus responds to us today. This resurrected savior that Peter encountered is, encountered is the resurrected savior you can encounter as well. So let me give you the first thing that, that Jesus does for Peter, he does for us as well. He helps Peter remember. He helps Peter remember. Again, Peter says, let's go fishing. The verse I just read said they went fishing. They were out all night and they didn't catch anything. And so let me pick the story back up in John chapter 21. I'm gonna reread the verse I read just a few minutes ago and then we'll see how the rest of the story goes. So Peter says, I'm gonna go out to fish. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse four, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. Jesus called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. Do you see it? Jesus is on the shore, they're still in the boat. Jesus says, did you guys catch anything? They say no, about 100 yards away, they can't really make out the face, they just know it's somebody. And he says, throw your net to the other side of the boat. They do so, they pull up this great number of fish. Guys, that's the exact same way Jesus chose Peter to be his disciple. It's the exact same thing. Like Peter is fishing one day, three years earlier, and he doesn't catch anything. And Jesus walks down the shore and says, throw your nets to the other side of the boat. And in that particular account, when they pull the nets up, they break because there were so many fish. And now Peter finds himself in the exact same place. And he hasn't caught anything. And the only person who's ever given him that command gives the exact same command again. Here's what Jesus is saying. Peter, remember how I called you. 
Peter, remember, you still belong to me. Peter, remember, this wasn't your idea. This was mine. I came after you. And I'm coming after you again right now. And when Peter realizes this is what's happening, he can't contain himself. He jumps into the water and swims to shore. He leaves all the work to the other guys. That's Peter, right? I mean, they gotta pull up this big net of fish. But Peter is swimming to shore. And isn't it such a kind, gracious thing for our Savior to do? To just recreate the exact same events to help Peter remember. Listen, I don't know what you've done. I don't know what your failure is. Everybody has failed, but there is a sliding scale when it comes to failure. I mean, some failures are a little more epic than others, but can we just for a second, there's nobody here in this room, there's no one joining us online that has failed to the extent where you walked with Jesus for three years and then denied him three times on the night of his arrest. Peter sets a very low bar for the rest of us, okay? Whatever your failure is, here's what Jesus would say to you today. Hey, can you remember something? This wasn't your idea, this was mine. I'm gonna chase you down. I'm gonna come after you. You can get in whatever boat you want, like Jonah last week or Peter this week. I will find you. There's no wall I won't knock down to get to you. There's no amount of failure you can do to keep me from you. So at some point, you just need to realize I'm gonna be that guy standing on the shore coming after you. That's what Jesus says, says to you today. He did it for Peter, he does it for us as well. Let me do the second thing that Jesus does for Peter is he relates to him, he relates to him. It's my favorite part of the story. So Peter swims to shore, we saw that, the rest of the guys are about to show up and what happens here on this beach is remarkable. So let's pick it back up in verse nine, John 21. So when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. Jesus is already cooking fish, I love that. Jesus like, you got all those fish, I've already got fish, but since you've got some fish, go ahead and bring some more. So he's already cooking fish, they bring the fish. So verse 11, Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, he dragged the net ashore. They're like, man, we brought it this far, you can bring it up to the fire. So they made Peter do some work, okay? It was full of large fish, 153, somebody counted them. I like that, all right, I don't know why, but they did, it's in the Bible, fantastic, okay? 153 fish, all right? But even with so many, the net wasn't torn. They got better nets. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. I love that. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They, they didn't wanna go first. And Jesus came, he took the bread, he gave it to them, he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Do you see it? Jesus is on the shore and he's cooking fish and they gather around, they bring some more of the fish and Jesus starts breaking the fish and passing it around. He starts breaking the bread and he starts passing it around. And I wonder, if, as they were sitting there that morning, some of them remembered the last time they saw Jesus take some fish and some bread and break it and pass it around. A little boy had given it to him and he had prayed over it and he'd, he'd started passing it around and it had multiplied to feed 5,000 people and they were remembering that day. I wonder if Peter was sitting there that day and he's sharing this meal with Jesus and I wonder if he recalled all of the times that Jesus would share a meal with a notorious sinner. It's what the Pharisees constantly accused Jesus of. And we don't understand the significance of sharing a meal 
because our culture doesn't see it the same way. But see, in their culture, if you shared a meal with someone, you were establishing fellowship. It was a lot more than just eating food. And, and Jesus would do this all the time with people like tax collectors, like Zacchaeus, who he, he said, hey, come, come down from that tree. I'm, I'm gonna eat with you in your home. It drove the Pharisees crazy that Jesus would share a meal with notorious sinners. And I wonder if that day, if Peter thought to himself, I'm the notorious sinner today. I wonder if Peter had, had a little bit of a judgmental attitude and, and now he's realizing, wait a second, Jesus is doing this with me. I, I didn't do anything to deserve this meal. I, I didn't do anything to earn this fellowship. The only thing I've brought to the table is my sin and failure. And here's what Jesus did. He prepared him breakfast. I need you to listen to what I'm about to say. I don't know what you've done. I don't know how you failed but I do know how God will respond to you. Sometimes there's, I, I don't know what God would do. And that's a really easy thing to say because sometimes God can be difficult to understand. God, God can, can sometimes feel mysterious. God can sometimes feel very out there, which is one of the reasons he sent us Jesus, which is to remove the mystery. If your children ever say, what's God like? Here's the answer, look to Jesus. If you ever wonder how would God respond? Here's the answer, look to Jesus. If you ever wonder how will God respond to me when I fail, look to Jesus. Because here's how God would respond because this is what Jesus does. He would actually invite you to a meal. He would establish fellowship with you. He would remind you that he actually cares about you and wants to spend time with you. See, Jesus didn't just go to the cross and walk out of the tomb so you can spend time with him one day for all of eternity. Listen to me. He wants to spend time with you today. He prepares a meal for you. He invites you to his table. Regardless of whatever you are walking through right now, Jesus says you belong. You belong with me and I desire to have fellowship with you. I don't know if you've had someone do that for you in your life. It's a glimpse of what Jesus does for us, it happened for me my senior year in high school. So my senior year in high school uh, was my last football season. My dad would come pick me up from lunch every Friday that we had a football game. And it was my last season and, and my dad and I both were pretty clear that this was the last time I would ever play football. I mean, college football was not in the plans for me, okay? So that, that was cool, that was how it was gonna go down. And so dad would come and he would check me out of school during lunch, and he would check me out of school, and he would take me to lunch, and then he would take me back to school, check me back in, so I could go back to my classes. And so dad would come, come check me out, and I knew he was busy, like he had his own business, and he had a lot of things going on, but he carved out this time for me, and he would check me out, and he would take me to a restaurant with menu, menus, real menus, y'all, and bread in the basket that they would bring out for you, okay? Now, as a high school kid who ate at McDonald's and Taco Bell, that was awesome, right? I was getting to eat real food with my dad, and we would sit there and we would talk about these great things and then he would take me back to school. And that may not seem like a lot to you, but I need you to hear like all these years later, and that's been a minute, all these years later, I can take myself in my mind back to that classroom that I sat in that fall semester, fall of 1996, my senior year of high school at North Cobb High School in Kennesaw, Georgia. I would sit in that classroom and I would stare up at the wall because on that wall there was a clock and it was an old school clock with the hour hand and the minute hand. And as that minute hand got closer and closer to 12 o'clock, my anticipation would keep building and it would keep building. It would keep building because here's what I knew was about to happen at 12 o'clock. It was magical. The intercom system was gonna cut on, right? 
that loud intercom system was gonna come up and just interrupt everything. Catch everybody else off guard, but not me, because I had been waiting for the intercom system to cut on, and, and it would cut on, and the lady in the front office would say, I need you to send Adam Bishop to the front office. His dad is here to check him out. And I would immediately pack up my stuff, look at all my knucklehead friends, and say, y'all gotta eat in the cafeteria. I'm gonna go have a steak with my dad. Rub it in, that's what I would do, okay? I'm not sure that was the right way to handle it, but that's what I would do, okay? And I loved it because I felt like someone who mattered to me wanted to spend time with me. Someone who I admired wanted to spend time with me. Here's what I need you to hear me saying this morning. Regardless of whatever projection you've placed on Jesus, what he would have you here today is that he's, he's speaking over the proverbial intercom of your life. And he's saying, I'm here to check you out. And I need you to spend about an hour with me because I've prepared a meal for you. And I wanna spend time with you because you matter to me. And I want you to tell me about the things that are going on in your life because see, there's nothing more that I'd rather do right now than actually spend time with you. This is our savior. And for Peter to recognize in that moment that at his worst, Jesus had cooked him breakfast and invited him into a meal. What Peter was reminded of is, wait a second, this amazing savior actually wants to have a relationship with me. When he was at his worst, regardless of your failure, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Let me tell you the third thing Jesus does for Peter. He restores him. He restores him. Right there, after breakfast, on that beach, is one of the more remarkable conversations recorded in scripture. And a lot has been made over the years about the different words that are used for love in this account that I'm about to read. And, and that's not really the point for today. The point for today is how this conversation unfolded for Jesus to restore Peter. So verses 15 through 17. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus restores Peter right there on that beach. And he does it in front of Peter's friends, the same guys who knew about Peter's failure. And he tells Peter, hey, go feed my sheep. Hey, do what I've called you to do. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've, I've commissioned you. Hey, Peter, it's time. And from this point forward in Peter's life, he gets it right. He's not perfect, but he never wavers again. He does go preach at Pentecost. 2,000 people, excuse me, 3,000 people respond and the church starts. He writes first and second, Peter. Peter is bold to live out his faith most historians believe Peter died the death of crucifixion, but that he asked to be hung on the cross upside down because he didn't count himself worthy to die the same way as his savior. This is the same guy who was scared of a teenage girl. See, Peter was able to stay the course and to see it through, not because of his big, bold, brash personality, not because he was one of Jesus's disciples for three years, 
not even because he saw an empty tomb, but because Jesus restored him on a beach and came after him when he was at his worst. Hey, for some of you today, Jesus need to accept that restoration and stop running from it. I'm sure Peter wanted to escape that moment and Jesus would have just tracked him down again. And Jesus has been tracking some of you down for quite some time and you just keep running. But on that day on the beach, all Peter could do was receive it. All he could do was receive it. The restoration that Jesus was offering him. Let me just talk to the Christ followers in the house for a second. You know you have Jesus. You believe in the resurrection. You could tell the resurrection account better than me. Peter looked into an empty tomb. Your failure is driving who you are. And in this moment, here's what Jesus is saying. Will you receive the restoration I offer you freely? Remember that free gift of salvation I offered to you that all you had to do was accept? That's how it works with restoration as well. Jesus says, I've chased you down. There's nothing that you can do but receive the restoration I offer you. For some of you here today, you don't know Jesus as your savior. Your failure has driven you to this place where you recognize it's time to stop running. And in that way, your failure has served its purpose. It's driven you to Jesus. Hey, would you bow your head with me just for a few moments? And maybe that's you. You've never come to a place in your life where you've recognized your need for a savior. Or maybe you have recognized your need for a savior and you just kept running. And Jesus has tracked you down again. And if that's you, can I just encourage you the best way you know how in this moment to just say, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross for my sin so that my sin doesn't have to separate me from God. I believe you walked out of the tomb and that you're alive and I wanna ask you to come into my life and save me. And from this day forward, I give you my life. You're not just my savior, you're also my Lord. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time today, I'm the only one looking, but I just wanna pray for you this week. Would you be so bold just to kind of slip your hand up? Say, hey, I just asked Jesus to come into my life and save me. I wanna pray for you this week. Thank you. Thank you. Best decision you'll ever make. Your identity is now found in Christ. And then for those of you who are my fellow brothers and sisters, redeemed by the blood of the lamb and yet stuck in your failure. Can you receive the restoration that Jesus offers you? There's nothing that you can do that would disqualify you from how he wants to use you from this point forward. But you've gotta receive that restoration. You've gotta stop running. So maybe in this moment, you just say, Jesus, I receive it. Jesus, I confess to my running and I just wanna receive that restoration. I have wallowed in my failure for too long. Hey, if that's where you are today, 
Can I pray for you as well? Would you just slip your hand up and say, man, I, that's, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Hey, we've been there. Thank you. I'm gonna pray for you this week. And so Jesus, as we come into this time of response, thank you. Thank you for coming after us. There's been so many times in my life I feel like I've drifted. And you've been on that beach every time. Thank you. As we enter into this time of response, Lord, would you just fill this place with your presence? And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.